Okay, uh, hello, my name is uh, Arya Nikisa and I'm Assistant Professor of Islamic Studies and Anthropology at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, and I'm just taking this opportunity. Right now I'm currently on a project where I'm trying to understand the relationship between certain uh, projects, uh, certain political projects that are global pro political projects that pertain, that, that relate to Muslim societies uh, in the West, in the Middle East, in South Asia, in Southeast Asia, and a lot of these projects are concerned with kind of inter overlapping concerns of uh, human rights, promotion of human rights, also concerned with issues of security and counterterrorism, also issues of Islamic reform. And uh, I've been speaking to a lot of people about how these issues fit together, and in particular the Islamic reform issue. Uh, but I also think that one aspect of this issue that is sometimes neglected is the impact of kind of global atheist movements, especially those which are targeted uh, to Muslim populations. So I just really wanted some insight into this issue, and I think Armin is a very important voice. So I just uh, I, I, apo I apologize to anyone. I'm not. This is I've never recorded anything of this type, so this probably is going to come out very well, but I will go ahead and, and do my best to, uh, to ask some good questions that hopefully people will find uh, useful or beneficial. No, you're, 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 you're doing great. Okay, so the... Oh, please go ahead, Armin. No, no, but uh, thank, um, thank you for, for setting this up, um, and thank you for letting me record it and release it on Atheist Republic. Um, but how long have you been doing this? Just, uh, just so people know that... Um, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, no problem at all. So it grows out of my dissertation research. Uh, so while I was a PhD student at Harvard, I was completing a, uh, a, a PhD and a JD, and my PhD was in anthropology. Uh, and one of the things I did is I did about three years of research in Egypt between uh, 2009 to 2012 on the uh, Al-Azhar University there, which is kind of the most important hub for the transmission of religious knowledge in the contemporary Muslim world. And one issue that um, is, uh, is evident in an Egyptian context is people are very interested with the question of the Islamic tradition and worried that if the Islamic tradition isn't reformed in a particular way, um, uh, it's going to have negative political consequences. And then there, so there are certain people who are proponents of certain types of Islamic reform. There are certain people who are opponents of certain types of Islamic reform because they associate it with imperialism uh, and so forth and so on. So I kind of uh, began to develop an interest in these issues at that time. And then I thought, and then I published my first book. So my first book will be coming out with Oxford University Press uh, early uh, next year. But now I'm working kind of on my second book project. So my second book project tries to take a more global perspective and look at networks of political institutions, of NGOs, of social media corporations that are interested in promoting Islamic reform uh, or perhaps atheism at, uh, in tandem with other types of projects like a human rights projects or counter-extremism, counter-terrorism projects. Oh, that's amazing. What's the name of your first book? Uh, I mean, uh, Ox, the, the name that we have right now is The Anthropology of Islamic Law, uh, Education, um, uh, The Anthropology of Islamic Law, uh, Education, Ethics, and Legal Interpretation at Egypt's Al-Azhar. So it's kind of a long academic wow. title. And when is it going to be released again? I believe April 2019. And what's the so, name of your second book going to be? I'm thinking of having it titled something like uh, Human Rights, Counterterrorism, and Islamic Reform, uh, Global History. 
our global anthropological history. I don't know. I haven't given enough thought to the title, but it's okay. definitely concerned with these global projects because I think that they're going to be important for the future of Muslim populations in the West and outside. And if, the if people are interested in getting your books, it's going to be like an Amazon and everywhere else they sell books, right? Yeah, yeah. I hope. So. I hope so. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead. Okay. So one uh, question I had. Uh, and I think it's a question that a lot of people inside and academia, inside and outside of academia, have is they're trying to understand uh, Islam um, as a tradition, and they're trying to figure out how it might be similar to or different from other religious traditions. So, in your opinion, is Islam similar to other religion? How is Islam similar to other religious traditions? How is it different from other religious traditions? And if it is different from other religious traditions, how is it different? Oh my, wow. Okay. How much time do you have? Like, I, ha I, I, ha I have a decent amount of time. I maybe I don't know if you can, I mean, you could write 10 books about this. Just one question. Can't you like, okay. So I well, mean, I'm particular, I'm particularly interested in it from the standpoint of, uh, uh, promoting atheism and from the standpoint of, let's say, promoting uh, human rights, uh, promoting modernity. Are there aspects of the Islamic tradition that make it more resistant to, let's say, secularization, oh. that make it more resistant to atheism, uh, than let's say, for instance, Buddhism and let's say, for instance, Christianity, if it, ha if it has particular features, right, okay. what are the features that make it resistant? Okay. That's more specific. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, well, I mean, just just generally obviously islam has a very a lot of similarities to other religions and many many differences from other religion like a, a lot of atheists and also non-muslims simplify like oh all religions are uh, the same or you know it's the same bullshit i mean no it's very different just because it has some similarities doesn't mean it's exactly it's the same thing i mean that's pretty obvious um the 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 problem with all of them is that they're faith-based, right? But that just because they all have that problem, it doesn't necessarily mean they are as harmful as each other, uh, even if they're all nonsense. But again, when I say nonsense, I mean in a, if you look at it from religion trying to describe reality and trying to describe the natural world and try to describe how to live, uh, I see them as all nonsense, but if you look at them as part of history, as part of something that is affected human civilization, uh, I don't see uh, looking them looking at religion, all religions like that. They're not nonsense at all. They're actually very fascinating and interesting uh, from that perspective, and they're part of what uh, made our civilization today what we are. You can't just ignore and dismiss that, right? Uh, so, you know, I always tell people that Islam is much more fun as an atheist because uh, it becomes um, it becomes a, a puzzle, a piece of puzzle in history that historians are trying to solve, uh, and it becomes like a, a detective work rather than uh, a guide to life, right? If you look at it as a guide to life, Islam is absolutely har um, horrible. Um, you know, text, you know, script, the, the Quran and the Hadith should be completely dismissed and abandoned as a guide to life. But if you look at it as, um, as you know, part of something that happened to humans, to, to many different civilizations and why it happened, how did it happen, how did it affect us, how does it continue to affect us, then that's, that's absolutely fascinating and very interesting to, and very valuable to, to, uh, to analyze and I think that's something one part of what you're doing uh, when it comes to um, I mean 
Diff I mean, if you're talking about similarities, I think that's a lot more a shorter answer than when it comes to differences. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, if you're talking about similarities, it, it really depends if you're comparing it to other Abrahamic religions or all other religions. If you're talking all religions, I guess the fact that it's faith-based um, and the fact that they believe in some supernatural and they have, um, you know, some traditions and some um rituals i guess that's where the similarities um super you know super belief in super, something supernatural having rituals i think that's where the similarities and being faith-based that's what that's where the similarities end and i think that those similarities uh, are enough for us to be against all of them as as atheist activists um but in, obviously when you go to abrahamic religions only then the similarities become a lot more um but and and then when you start talking about differences then you could you could fill libraries with that um are but, there any particular differences that are relevant to let's say resistance to secularization or resistance to atheism which particular differences uh, exist in islam that are relevant to those issues um so i mean this is the this is very interesting uh topic uh, one of obviously the main uh, the main thing that people think about when it comes to Islam being resistant um, resistant to any changes it, and I have disagreements with people okay because the main uh, difference is that the Quran itself um, is promotes itself as a direct word of God uh, other texts do not necessarily do that so obviously as the Quran does right um, and it makes it, it promotes itself as a direct word of God that could never be changed and it will always be immune to change it will never be corrupted so um, in in according to all Islamic thought the every single word in the Quran is verbatim the direct word of God like this is not something that you could play around with much you can't just say that this is that human influence that this was changed that this is just people's understanding like some Christians say of what happened which is with Jesus uh, but not necessarily it might not necessarily be accurate it was each uh, person's perspective of what happened no this is the direct word of God okay does he can't play around with that right and also because it does uh, warn about um, people uh, cherry-picking the Quran itself does that it it does warn you about people that want to reform it the Quran itself warns you about people that might want to reform Islam uh, the Quran itself warns you about people that want to uh, misrepresent it or change the meanings of it it's basically very did it's a I, it's a very among all scriptures out there there's not I, I don't know of any other text that has within itself uh, uh, built enough resistance within the text itself not just the community but within the text itself has built enough resistance to uh, playing around with the interpretation or playing around with cherry picking and stuff like that but but that's what most people say when it comes to uh, you know why is resist islam is resistance to reform compared to other religions but i mean we could get into this later i'm i'm i i don't I don't necessarily think that other religions are also are up for reform either. I think when people t say that Christianity was reformed, it's not that I don't see it like that. I see more s Christians and Christian societies 
moving away from Christianity. It's not that Christianity was changed. It's more people people were less obsessed with Christianity. People became uh, Christianity became less and less part of their lives, and you know it became less influential. Right? It wasn't. Uh, they ref- a lot of people when they want to reform Islam. They look into the reformation started by Martin Luther, and and they see that as a reason why Europe managed to, you know, come out of a backward barbaric. Oh, you sent me. I don't know why this is showing on my screen. Um, you uh, come out of like being being very uh, having policies and. Uh, governing and living based on Christianity um, and moving past that they see the Reformation as part of that solution but if you look at what really happened the Reformation wasn't necessarily or directly responsible for that uh, the Reformation, in fact, in many in many aspects, um, went was a was a step backwards um, when it came to how women were viewed, how uh, Jewish people were viewed, um, and it, and in many other places, it wasn't that much of an improvement. Uh, there, a lot of a, a lot of crimes in the name of Christianity was done under you know Protestants, right? So. Um, so but the only thing that you could give credit to the Reform- Reformation to is that they made protesting popular, uh, mm-hmm. questioning authority popular, which was uh, responsible for eventually what is uh, what made people move away from religious thinking, which is the Enlightenment movement in, in Europe. So I, I give I give credit more, I and many other people, obviously more people more smarter than me, uh, give credit to uh, the Enlightenment movement for why Christianity came out of uh, that way of thinking. Christians came out of that way of thinking on a massive scale. Uh, and if you look at the Enlightenment movement, it wasn't a reformation, it wasn't changing, reinterpreting Christianity. It was, a, it was a challenge against Christianity. It was a challenge against religion. It was moving away from faith-based thinking and more towards rational way of thinking, right? And if you look at the way uh, religions as a memes try to adopt, it's not when, it's not, it's not a, usually a result of self-reflection. Uh, and self-improvement is usually a survival, a reaction, a survival um, tactic against outside forces. It's not. It's religions try to adopt not because of anything that com- happens from within. It's because of better and more useful ideas from outside that challenges their relevance that they get forced to change. This is why I'm against also reform movements because reform movements try to uh, are trying to ch- make a change from within, but you know no no meme gives away its power uh, or authority willingly. Uh, fr- uh, there's uh, you do, there's nothing in Islam that could be responsible for it for anything that could be seen as a reform or nothing within Christianity it's it's usually it's what it's it's from outside of the religion it's challenging that religion uh, and making it uh, exposing it as irrelevant and a useless way to live life that that though that the people 
well not the meme of religion tries to adapt to re represents itself as something that is relevant and when it comes to christianity actually it has it, it not only tries to keep itself re irrelevant it tries to uh, it has very it has done a very good job at trying to gain credit for a lot of the western what we call western because it came out of the west i i, I, like, I prefer calling it enlightenment values it tries to gain uh to, to claim credit for a lot of the enlightenment values they had nothing to do for uh, for it for them happening like a lot of a lot of Christians think that Christianity for example is responsible for uh, a lot of human rights free speech superior Western values compared to the rest of the world but it's very interesting that we didn't have many of these things for for most of Christian history and only when Enlightenment era uh, activism started happening, all of a sudden these values started becoming more popular again. And again, if you look at Enlightenment activists, it was mostly a, move, a movement against Christianity, against religion. Uh, it, it just it just so happens that they ha uh, they were they happen in the places where Christianity was uh, was the religion. If these if these Enlightenment values were, I mean, for example, if you look at the similar kind of thinkers that were trying to push for more rational, uh, more rational way of thinking about the world in the Arab world uh, through in the um, in the golden age of Arabs, people call it the golden age of Muslim Islam. I say the golden age of Arabs because I think it happened not because of Islam, but, you know, in spite of Islam, right? It was because of the, the rational thinkers. The rational thinkers did not uh, get their rational thinking from Islam. In fact, a lot of them were against Islam. Anyways, but what I'm saying that we had similar movements in the Arab world. It just got crushed by people like Ghazali. Uh, but if the, if, if the Enlightenment um, age happened in the Islamic world right now Islam would be like a lot of Muslims I'm pretty sure would be claiming that oh it was then like claiming credit for enlightenment values that they they, they try to they try to give the they would have tried to give the credit to Islam so okay can I actually can I actually ask for a clarification on a couple of issues one is um, you mentioned that Islam was a meme. I was wondering if you could clarify that idea a little bit. I mean, my understanding is that you're drawing on the work of Richard Dawkins, uh, for instance. Uh, are there? Could you give some examples of, uh, or could you give me some examples of some mimetic qualities of Islam? Like, what qualities of Islam uh, contribute to its meme-like uh, character? And are there particular characteristics that make Islam a stronger meme uh, than some other uh, than some other forms of religiosity? Right. I mean, every anybody that uses the word meme is re referring to Richard Dawkins because he coined the term, right? Even the memes online that you see, that's the, um, it was Richard Dawkins that coined the term. But they that they have a anyways. But um, but I mean, obviously, any any form of it's not Islam that is just a meme. Every religion or any ideology or um, cultural practice is is a meme. As um, I mean. If you compare Islam to, if you compare like uh, religious uh, religion, religious memes to like genes, for example, I mean they they do uh, 
you know, self-replicate. They do try. They do pass on from one. They use individuals like you and me as units of information uh, to pass on their um, attributes from one generation to another. Uh, they just like genes that are not conscious but seem conscious. Memes, uh, if you study them, they seem like they're conscious. They seem to try to survive, and they there's a an evolve. Um, even and and there seems to be some this is why a lot of people when they look at memes and they see how how they how they're trying how they're trying to survive they always assume that there are some gene there are some people there are some con artists always behind them making these decisions uh, just like when you look at uh, evolution there seems to be some consciousness behind it but the the just like when it comes to the natural selections of genes uh, Memes also survive without necessarily some conscious, powerful entities behind them making these decisions, right? So, like, if you look at um, the Islam as a as a meme that has survived, it wasn't, you know, a lot of a lot of atheists, for example, say like, "Wow, look, this this is very clever that they have these attributes that it made it. They did this on purpose so that it survived." But but if you like, let's say like you have a map of the planet and you just randomly pick ideologies and just throw it on the map right and just like come up with just random beliefs and rituals for each of one of these memes and just throw it all everywhere on the map right and then just let evolution of memes uh, do its job um let's say you put 200 memes right and then fast forward um you know a thousand years obviously the the memes that have um have the attributes to survive the most are are going to last longer and they're going to I, I think like after a thousand years or two thousand years you you put 200 memes on the map but then you're going to see that oh only now there's only five left and they're all over like the even the 200 memes if the, each one of those had like a small portion of the geography covered now each one of the five that are left uh, they're covering a much wider area, and now you have only like four or five, right? Big ones. So, right? so uh, you mentioned that you, uh, when you would speak with some other atheists, or some atheists had mentioned that there were particular characteristics of Islam that seemed particularly clever, or that contributed to its spread at the expense of other other forms of religiosity. Are there any traits that come to mind? Like, for instance, uh, uh, maybe, for instance. Um, uh, endorsement of conquest or endorsement of certain gender relations that lead to high fertility or are, are there any are, are there any particular characteristics that among the atheist community are are associated with the strength of of Islam as uh, conceptualized in terms of a meme well I, I'm trying to find a book by dr. Daryl Ray um, I, I can't find it right now I know I have a summer here but it's called sex and God and this is not just Islam, but this is like a lot of Abrahamic religions. Um, and I'll give, I know a lot of people when it comes to Islam, they always go to uh, violence, and uh, jihad, and there's plenty of examples of that, like that. But it, here's another uh, very interesting example. I, I always ask people, for example, uh, well, again, this is Dr. Darrell Ray. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying this is true or not, but this is a this is a theory that you could people could look up and see if it's true or not but why is why for example masturbation is wrong in Abrahamic religions why is religion against that there's nobody being harmed right 
there's nobody nobody is um, at, attacking anybody nobody is taking away anything from anybody why is that considered a harm why is that considered a sin right and the, the I don't know if it's a theory or if it's a hypothesis I think it's a hypothesis uh, is that um, this is something that most uh, this is a sin that most young uh, men will fail at um, you know this is something I will definitely most people would know it's a sin but would will do it anyways and they will feel disgusted about themselves they will feel that they are unpure they will feel that there's something wrong with them there's if they will feel that there's a they have a disease that needs to be cleansed and when, when you get convinced that you have a disease that there's something wrong with you you have to go to the people that have the cure and that would be the church or the mosque or the religious authorities this is you you when you when the, it's a very interesting strategy to, to to tell you that doing something you, you you doing something is disgusting and making that thing that is disgusting uh, something that you know most people will fail at not doing and then you convincing people well you have the cure for your disgusting behaviors for you to always feel dependent on the system and, and on the on the religion to purify yourself right and again this doesn't mean that some people got into a room and decided like hey wouldn't it be an this this is a smart idea and again i don't know how true this is this is just a hypothesis but if this is true it doesn't mean necessarily that some people some religious authorities decided that like hey let's make uh masturbation a sense just so that we keep people tied to the religion that was like there wasn't like a some con artist or some evil master plan like that behind it it's just that again if you randomly have even if you randomly have attributes of each religion the ones that have the all these little things that make them survive longer will survive longer right uh, which is um which is also very and again this this if you if you look at it this way a lot of the crazy what we see crazy part of religions like a lot of things that don't make absolute any sense for the best interest of individuals it if you look at it that way they start making sense for the survival of the meme you know what i mean mm -hmm. like uh, for example another another theory and again i don't know if it's a theory or hypothesis but is that the more crazy the rituals are the more commitment you're showing to the to the tribe by practicing those rituals right and the more committed you are to that tribe this this better it is for the tribe and this is the problem with a lot of people that argue that oh religion must be good for something that's why it survived for so long. I mean, these religions have been around for thousands of years. How could you have pos How could you possibly think that we will we would be okay without them, right? But the thing is that their survival just means that they have been good for the meme, not necessarily good for the individuals. Like, as if you look at, for example, our, our genes, our, uh, the, if you if you consider them conscious, I know they're not conscious, but you can, if you, I mean, a lot of people, when we talk about genes and evolution, we talk about them as if they're conscious, just like you can say, oh, my computer is thinking. You know it's not thinking, but it just seems like it's thinking, right? But 
so when we say selfish genes, obviously genes can't be selfish, but people understand what you're trying to say, right? But if you look at what our genes trying to do, and again, when I uh, people get picky when I say trying because they're not conscious, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying. What 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 matters to the genes is their survival, right? Um, and all the all the fears and all the pleasures that we have uh, is a tool that the genes are using to basically. They're, they're the puppet master and we're the puppet, right? Mm. We get hungry because they need energy for us to stay long, long, uh, long enough to pass our gene to the next generation. We get horny because they want us to have sex and pass our genes to the next generation, right? So they're the puppet masters and we're the puppet. They, we, if you put your hands on top of a stove, you want to put your hand away because the gene survival is now a threat. They, they basically, basically, that is when you feel pain, do it, that's your genes torturing you for their own survival. But, but what happened is that at some point when you become self, when, when self-awareness becomes a tool in the toolkits of the genes, the problem is that self-awareness backfires on the genes because then some of these tools uh, becomes our goals. What's, what's a tool for the gene becomes the goal for the individual. As an individual, we don't really care about the survival of a gene. Pleasure used to be a tool for the gene, but now pleasure becomes a goal for us. And we want to satisfy our pleasure without necessarily satisfying the goal of the genes. Um, that's why if you use condom, your basic condoms, you're satisfying the pleasure without actually necessarily doing what the gene was intending you to do. Okay, uh, that's that's very helpful, but I know that your time but, but, is limited, no, no, so I want to. No. I want to. Oh. I want to oh. get into the meme, for example. So, oh, okay. so the, the, when you go now, when you go to the meme world, right? Um, again, the memes are not self-aware, but the human, our, the relationships between the genes and humans is basically very similar to the relationships between humans and memes, right? So we are now the carriers of these information and the memes is basically like how they, uh, how they, exp- how these units of information or, or books or computers, right? How they manifest themselves, right? Um, but the thing is that we, this relationship, the difference between the, uh, this relationship is that unlike the relationship between genes and individuals, we are self-aware and the memes are not. So we still manage to outsmart, like notice that the memes are going, so when the memes are going so far out that that we notice that, okay, this is not good for the individual, I think we manage to somehow hopefully fight against memes that are against the individual interest because we're self-aware, right? Mm-hmm. And the, basically the atheist movement is part of that. The atheist movement is, um, you know, not letting the memes do to us uh, what we humans did to our genes, mm-hmm. right? So we are we are motivated to have our goals in the exp- to satisfy our goals in the expense of the genes, but we don't want our memes to satisfy the memes goals uh, in expense of us individuals. And the atheist okay. movement is basically fighting against some of those memes, specifically religious memes, but go on. Okay, so I had a question um, pertaining to uh, human rights issues. Many people who will promote Islamic reform among Muslim populations or, or various pla- in various places in the Muslim world, they say we want to promote Islamic reform as a means of um, 
promoting human rights because an unreformed Islam is going to somehow inhibit the spread of human rights. Uh, do you see the promotion of atheism as a mechanism for promoting human rights in the Muslim world? And if so, would you mind elaborating on that topic? Yeah, well, I mean, this is exactly ties into exactly what I, to what I just said right now. The point is that uh, when we say about human rights, we're talking about the misery or the happiness that people experience, right? And I, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that memes like Islam, Christianity, communism, Nazism, the you know nationalism. I know people don't like that. What I say, and other these other these other memes like this are basically um, not do not do not necessarily serve the individual, right? So. I, pro, atheism is basically a fight against some of these memes and um, athe, you know the idea of God the guy uh, the idea of faith itself the idea of basically living uh, our lives and coming up with uh, ways of ways of guides to our lives guides to politics guides to our relationships with each other guides to finding meaning in life guides to finding significance and community based on ideas that are not uh, scientific are not evidence-based are based on ancient um, scripture that that were written by people that had very limited understanding of how our minds work how the universe works uh, how anything works um, is 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 obviously not uh, destructive it's obviously uh, counterproductive when it comes to um, human rights and not just human rights anything that um, anything that influences how happy we could be and anything uh, that influences avoiding misery and pain uh, obviously it's it seems to me it's, I mean it's, it should go without saying that uh, if the more uh, our belief systems is based on reality the closer our beliefs matches the real world obviously it will never be exactly matching it our belief it will always be uh, a little bit different from what reality is right we will never know what truth is 100% but the closer we I don't I think it's self-evident that is that the closer our belief system is to reality the better the, the the easier the more the better outcomes we're going to have the more uh, the, the more our conclusions are going to be beneficial to humanity right and to to anything else that is conscious and uh, do, do members of the atheist republic when they're thinking about their atheism and the effects of their atheist activism are they primarily interested and perhaps they have uh, different motivations but when they are motivated to engage in atheist activism are their concerns primarily about kind of just having a factual view of the world or are or are do do many of them see themselves as proponents of human rights or the reason why they want to for instance promote atheism is because they want to ensure that all populations including muslim populations um uh are able to embrace human rights norms okay so let, first i need to make it clear that i don't speak for everybody that is a member of atheist republic and also atheist republic as a community doesn't speak for all atheists right okay or or the atheist community or any atheist community outside of atheist republic itself right um so 
when it comes to atheist activism, I think there's two separate activists, atheist activism that we are bo engaged in both. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them is um, creating a community for atheists, um, and the other one is uh, promoting atheism, right? Uh, and I, I know a lot of atheists have a problem with promoting atheism, but I defend, I'll defend that. Um, mm -hmm. If if we can, um, I don't know if we want to get into that or not. But when you when you come when it comes to uh, creating a community for atheists. There, there is not just one community. There are many different atheist communities, right? And I think for our community, what we're trying to do is have very limited uh, rules um, and standards. Like, it's just very basic. No homophobia, no racism, uh, no, no threats of harm, no scams. And other than that, it's, the door is open to... Uh, all atheists, right? Uh, Left-wing atheists, right-wing atheists, non-political atheists, atheists that are not activists at all, atheists that are just feel, you know, demonized, ostracized, atheists that are looking for other atheists, atheists that are interested in finding people to debate and have discussions with, atheists that don't want, atheists that are just looking for a community without necessarily talking about religion or atheism at all. Basically, sh normalizing atheism, showing atheists that there's a lot of other atheists out there, uh, provide protecting atheists from harm like for example and many atheists are we we disagree with but are, uh, we welcome them many atheists are not even skeptical many atheists believe in other delusions believe in ghosts believe in spirits but they but this but when it comes to building a community for a so here's the thing some atheist communities don't welcome those kind of atheists right our atheist community, our atheist republic community, we're trying to, and I'm not saying they're wrong, right? Every, every atheist community has its own goals and intentions. What we're trying to, when it comes to building a community for atheists under the name Atheist Republic, we're trying, we're saying, okay, we might disagree with you, like you might believe in, I don't know, some conspiracy theories that we don't, we don't like I don't agree with, but the point of building our community is to, uh, is that all, all atheists, Atheists do not deserve to be discriminated against for the sake of their atheism. They don't deserve to be wrong for because of their atheism. They don't deserve to be oppressed. They don't. They need to be able to uh, be open uh, about their atheism. They need. They shouldn't uh, feel shy about uh, or isolated because of their atheism. And when it comes to that purpose, we open the door to all atheists, even atheists that are, not, uh, you know, we don't see eye to eye with, right? So that's the community building part of the activism, right? The, and again, there's, uh, there are many, when, when people say the atheist community, um, some people point out that it should be communities because there are many different communities. They all have, and none of them speak for atheists. Atheism is nothing but other than a lack of belief in God, right? And then in terms of the community mechanisms, the community building mechanisms that are associated with Atheist Republic, for instance, the consulates and whatnot, is it, I think you mentioned at some point that there were face-to-face -face gatherings. Would you mind expanding upon that a little bit? Like how often are the gatherings? How many people come to the gatherings? Is there any way you can give us uh, some sense of how this community building works? Right. I mean, the thing is that each uh, we have consulates all, all around the world in every major cities and uh, in, in major city and um, in cities that we don't have consulates. When there is a demand and people come and ask for a consulate, we start them. And it really depends on where which city you're talking to because and it depends on how active the members are there. 
what we try to do is give um, some uh, some level of autonomy to the people that start organizing their own consulates in their in their, uh, in their city. We again, we have very basic uh, rules uh, that they all have to have, which is not, no racism, no homophobia, no scams, uh, no threats of harm. But then they they themselves, each each city's admins or whoever starts managing the group might want to add their own rules and again this is up to them this is why we call it the atheist republic right <laughs> not the atheist mm. uh, you know so uh, but uh, the only other um, rule we have is that the members of each consulate need to be uh, support their admins like they need to be and at least most of them be saying like yep we're happy with the admins that we have right uh, and if they're happy with the admins they have how often they meet what they do is really up to them again we know that the admins of each city they understand their local you know cool uh, can you give us uh, can you give me a, a little bit of a sense of how for instance vancouver my understanding is that you live in vancouver yeah i mean again how often Va vancouver is not yet that active i'm going to change that but i think some of our most active cities are uh, a lot of cities in Mex uh, in mexico india uh, yeah, could you give can, a could, could you give me an example of a city in Mexico? Uh, and let's say, I, for instance, can Mexico. I get, can I get you in touch with the consulate? I mean, I'm not involved in the day-to-day oh, sure, -day sure. operations yeah, of each consulate, but yeah, I could get you in touch with the head of each one of these consulates, and you could talk to them. Malaysia, I don't know if they would. Um, I mean, I sent you some stuff about some uh, news that happened with Malaysia. That's uh, that's a very um, very active consulate that I love. Uh, but again, uh, our consulates. In the Philippines are very very active. Um, Mexico, India. Yeah, if, you, if you if you don't have the information available on you, we can just pursue yeah, it uh, I mean, later. I it's no problem. I I, and I have to clarify, Atheist Republic has has grown to so much more than I ever envisioned. Without me necessarily, uh, without me being involved, like because we there's the secret to our growth is um, lack of uh, micromanagement. Basically, empowered people to just take this as far as they want to take it. So it's so it's really impossible for anybody to necessarily be involved in everything that Atheist Republic is doing because it just grow grew into its own. No, uh, it's understandable. Right, but again, that's this is why we also get a lot of criticism coming directly at us because there's a lot of things posted under the uh, on our page or done by consulates that people come to us and be like, "What the hell is this? Why is this right wing? Why is this left wing? Why is this pro this? Why is it pro that?" And like, listen, Atheist Republic just reflects and amplifies the voice of the community that's why it's all over the place right that's why you see pro some post that is pro-buddhism and then another post that is anti-buddhism because it just reflects the diversity that we have in our community again atheists as a whole don't have much in common other than a lack of belief in god and i think that's a that's a good thing because our differences uh, shows you know which shows that we could here's an example i give like the um the gay rights movement right uh being gay is nothing other than being attracted to uh people of your own gender that doesn't mean but but when the gay rights movement happened for in the west which is now become a very successful movement make people more accepting of gays uh it did not require um, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of internal drama and everything, uh, just like every movement. But they managed to become very successful, even though these people had nothing in common other than being gay. 
right? Mm -hmm. You have right-wing gay people, you have left-wing, you have religious gay people, you have atheist gay people, you have non-political gay people, but the gay rights movement became very successful. And the interesting thing is that you don't actually have to be gay to be part of the gay rights movement, right? You could support, and you and if you're gay, you do, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're part of the gay rights movement, right? You could you could be a straight person that is part of the gay rights movement, and you could be a gay person that is not part of the gay rights movement. So I see... Um, non-religious -relig people that support athe uh, atheist movement as part of the atheist movement, like because they are normal, they are they are Christians and Muslims, even though we disagree with them, that see something wrong with being um, d with demonizing atheists, and they are our allies when it comes to uh, normalizing or making atheism atheists ac accepted and oh, okay so you've you've been very helpful in terms of clarifying the community building element of atheist republic now you also mentioned that there's an atheist promotion element and that you right. think it's good to promote atheism could you can you talk about uh, why you believe that it's good to promote atheism particularly among Muslim communities I mean generally but also in particular with reference to Muslim communities Okay. Well, first of all, the main the main critique that we get from people is like, oh, now you're just like um, Christian evangelists or Muslim preachers if you go out and tell people about atheism, right? And I, um, you know, why you? But I say that you know Christians and Muslims should be should be able to um, advocate, you know, promote Christianity and promote Islam, right? In fact, I don't understand, um, uh, most Muslims that don't, because if they, most Muslims, you know, one time I went to, uh, a church, I was invited to a church knowing I was, people knowing there I was an atheist, uh, and they were very friendly, very nice, and this, this one Christian, uh, person comes to me and says like, oh, so you're an atheist? And I say, yeah, uh, and he says, like, okay, don't worry, I'm not going to try to uh, preach to you or try to convert you. And I was, and I asked him, why? Why, why are you not trying? Like, do, do you think that I'm going to go to hell if I die as an atheist? And he says, like, yeah, but that's for God to decide. It's not up to me. I say, let live and let live and all that. And, like, wait, but don't you care? Like, don't you want to, like, you really think if I die as an atheist? Um, I'm gonna go to hell and you're not even gonna attempt to try to save me, right? I mean, I understand that some Christians when they're talk when they're debating atheists or other people for them It's not about saving anybody for them. It's about winning an argument But there but there are many people with good intentions that actually genuinely think that they're they're spreading Christianity is 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 an act of kindness. They're saving your soul, right? And Would it be accurate to say that promoting uh, atheism among Muslim populations is saving them in a sense or conferring particular benefits upon them? And if so, can yeah. you elaborate on that point? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, exactly. So, I'll, so here's the thing, right? If if I if you are looking for a treasure, right, and you're going into like um, a field and you have a map. And your map, my map, it does not reflect the realities of the ground at all. It's completely, everything is misplaced. But your map is not completely accurate, but pretty, like, pretty close to exactly where everything is, right? And we, I take my map and you take your map uh, and we go look for this treasure. I'm pretty sure you're going to find it before I do. And I'm probably never going to find it, right? So this is how I see the belief system. So I think that... A lot of people, when they talk, when they think about cost of religion, they think about suicide bombing, war, and stuff. Um, 
And I say, like, you know what? As long as they keep their religion to themselves, uh, it's fine. I don't care, right? And But I think that's a very selfish way of looking at it. Because even uh, if I always... Here's an example. If you think about, like, let's say a father, a man that is very religious, a religious Muslim, right? That has doesn't hurt a fly, uh, goes and prays, uh, goes to the Hajj, uh, gives zakat to the mosque or whatever religious authorities, depending on the country, and um, and does all these Islamic rituals, but hasn't hurt a fly, and is not an extremist. Um, spends a lot of time reading the Quran, uh, praying, all of that, right? So you're like, okay, this person is just practicing Islam in their own private life. This that's not a problem. There's no victims here, right? And I like, I, I, my response to that is like, there is a victim here, the man, right? He is yeah. a victim of this meme. He's dead. He's dedicating a lot of time and resources to something that is not real, and it's not up to us to decide that. A lot of people are like, oh, it's not up to you to decide that he should be an atheist. I'm like, well, it's not up to you to decide that he shouldn't have an option, right? Mm. A lot of people say, why can't you just let people uh, believe what they want? And like, when did we force atheism on everybody? What are you talking about? Did we go and force our content? Do we put a gun on their people's head and tell them to renounce their religion? What is you are? Why are you denying them an option? We are just putting. First of all, we're not going to them. We are putting everything up on our platform, on our uh, you know website, on our Facebook page, on our YouTube account, on our own podcast. They're coming to us, right? They're curious enough to come to us. We're not going to them, right? It's, it's much easier than bef ever before for you to be able to control what you see on your feed, what, uh, you know, what books you read. Like, if you don't like a book, all you have to do is not read it. That's what Salman Rushdie said, right? But... Uh, the, th the people that say that you should let them believe what they want is very ironic because they're saying that if well if you want to let them believe what they want then you should not deny them all the options right they're, if if they're only exposed to Islam then you're not then you are not letting them believe what they want the only way to let them believe what they want is to show them all the alternatives in your in your experience when people when muslims in particular uh, embrace atheism what are their primary motivations are there motivations that they find uh, islam problematic at an intellectual level that there's not evidence for it or is it because they prim primarily because they find it morally repugnant because it conflicts with certain human rights I, standards I or is it a I don't know I don't I can only speak my, for myself and I don't have access to any polling on this for atheists mm. Right. So I, I cannot and I, I don't know what I cannot speak to every example that I make from the atheist community is I don't know how representative like if I say many atheists are, say this many atheists say that I don't know how common those. Uh, so how about without are. putting specific figures on it, are are there certain recurring patterns that you've seen in terms of Muslim atheism? I know that you can't give any kind of uh, percentage breakdown or perhaps even say which one is the most common, but have you noticed particular patterns that lead people to leave Islam? Oh, to leave Islam? Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I think um, unlike my own path out of Islam many atheists many people that have left Islam um, had more their problems were more based on the inhumane parts of uh, 
Islamic teaching and practices, uh, the verses and the hadith that they found um, inhumane or unkind or violent or barbaric. Mm. Um, that was not my path out of Islam. My path out of Islam was more based on a lack of evidence for the existence of God. Mm. Um, but I'm not necessarily saying that they're what they what they're saying is wrong. Um, I mean, logically, what they're saying makes sense. A lot of the, a lot of the, some people have um, emotional um, path out of Islam, like uh, bad experiences, right? Um, I don't. It's, you know, some people base it more on logic. Some people base it more on a combination of both bad experience and logic. So, but for example, when I when I when I left as Islam, I was still in Iran, um, and and uh, you know, I made a, my first atheist community online on a website called Orkut, just to see how many other people, if there are any other people in Iran at least that are like me, because uh, it felt pretty lonely, and that was ex eventually what gave birth to Atheist Republic because. I felt pretty lonely and I wanted to find other people online uh, just, uh, and that's how it all started. Uh, but then I found a lot of people in Iran that were atheists and we were all very surprised on how many other atheists are out there that are atheists. Uh, but what I noticed very, very soon is that they are all sharing, many, not all, a lot of them were sharing verses from the Quran that they were like what the fuck is this look at this look at this verse and mm. i noticed that that was what they were more interested in. i mean that i found it very interesting as well uh, when i when the, like a lot of the things that they pointed out was things that we i read like i read uh, but i read it just just reading the arabic part of it but not necessarily paying attention to the translation but then when they pointed out i was like no that can't be in there and then when, when i went looked it up I was like holy shit that's in there Right, so but this was like their favorite pastime to show, to show all all of this stuff in the Quran, but so, but that was in my path. Even though I, I was interested in what everything they had to say, that was in my path out of uh, out of Islam. In terms of promoting uh, atheism among Muslim communities, are there certain techniques that are used more with Muslim communities than other religious communities like Buddhists or Hindus? Uh, or you just kind of use people in, in your, I know that you can't speak about Atheist Republic as a whole because it's very decentralized, right. but in terms of the techniques that you've seen, are there particular techniques or methods uh, that people use when they are engaging in activist, atheist activism with respect to Muslim communities as opposed to, yeah. let's say, Buddhist communities? Because so someone might, I'm not sure this is a correct argument, but someone might say, oh, when it comes to Buddhism, maybe, for instance, citing verses on violence are not as effective. Right. Or when it comes to Buddhism, maybe, for instance, citing human rights violations by Buddhist populations are not as effective. Well, yeah, I'm just curious in terms of the strategies and the rhetoric that one might use uh, within a Muslim community. What, um, I mean, so, I mean, there are a lot of similarities, right? Like, um, like planting a seed of doubt when it comes to um, challenging faith-based systems. I think when it comes to that, there's a lot of similarities. But I guess the difference is, again, uh, going to the scripture, but also what I've noticed is that a lot of a lot of more serious Muslims have an appreciation for people that um, 
know a lot of a lot about Islam, right? Mm-hmm. And even though they might really, they might be very much against your position, uh, I think what I've noticed is is that once they when they see um, how much you know about history or different hadiths or the Quran or the life of Muhammad, they seem to have uh, an appreciation for that. Not again, not all of them, but a lot of them. Even though even they don't respect your conclusion. They do respect that you took the time to actually uh, understand what you know, and and, and what when the thing is that serious Muslims against it really depends on the Muslim you're talking to, and I think it, what has but what the most effective strategy is to first see where that what what kind of a Muslim you're speaking to right before you actually mm-hmm. come up with a, a plan of discussion. But Are there general classes of Muslims that one could talk? So, for instance, imagine you want to promote atheist activists among Muslims, and you're trying to pick out strategies. Right. Do kind of Muslims fall into two categories, knowledgeable and non-knowledgeable? Or are there additional categories that one needs to take into account? So, I, I categorize Muslims as um, nominal Muslims, minimalist Muslims, um, and then I guess it would be conservative Muslims. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and then cultural Muslims, which are technically not Muslims. Uh, so nominal Muslims are people that are Mus- that basically do not do anything Islamic. But if you ask them, "Do you're a Muslim?" They say, "Yes, I'm a Muslim." Do you believe in Allah? They say, "Yes, I believe in Allah." Do you believe Muhammad was the prophet of God? They say, "Yes, I believe that." Do you believe the Quran was the word of God? They say, yes, I believe the Quran is the direct word of God. But other than that, they don't pray, they don't fast, uh, they don't go to the mosque, they might they drink alcohol, they have sex before marriage. There's nothing in their day-to-day lives that you could point to and be like, oh, that's Islamic. There's nothing like that. Um, but they're the, by definition, because they believe in those things, um, I mean, a lot of people are like, well, why would you be a Muslim, or call yourself a Muslim if you don't practice? Well, technically, by definition, if you believe in those things, you're a Muslim even if you don't practice it. You're not just a very good Muslim, but you're still a Muslim, right? So I call those nominal Muslims, right? Because Islam is based on belief, not based on practice, right? Uh, so you have nominal Muslims. Then you have your minimal, minimal, minimalist Muslims, which are the people that believe in all that, but also do the bare minimum of what you need to do, right? So they pray five times a day, they fast during Ramadan, and that's about it, right? They don't drink alcohol, uh, but you know, praying is just like something you do every day. They don't think about it. They're not even thinking about God when they're praying. It's just like brushing your teeth. Uh, it's just the thing you do. Uh, and other than that, the rest of their life is not focused on Islam. They think uh, they're more important things. They are thinking about their career. As soon as praying is over, they're thinking about what, what maybe even while they're praying, they're thinking about lunch. Um, but they are the minimalist Muslims. They're just the bare minimum things you do as a Muslim and that's about it um, and then then you get to and again there's a this is not like a clear-cut categories that you have a lot of people in between then you have more serious conservative Muslims um, that I don't know if it's conservative is the right word but uh, the, the Muslims that you that okay then okay I guess maybe we could ca- have two two categories of serious Muslims right the peop- these are people that actually try to live try to understand Islam try to know 
what is the Islamic way of living, take Islam seriously, tr do have some, do prioritize it in their decision making in their lives. Um, and then when it comes to that, then you have two, uh, among the people that took it seriously, I guess there's three paths to that. Either you look at the text and be like, okay, you read it. Uh, literally I mean like this is I guess how I need to live and that leads to be you becoming a conservative Muslim or you read it and be like okay this is this is bullshit what the hell I can't believe this is in there and you become an ex-Muslim um, or you um, or you become a very fringe minority again I, I can't express how fringe this is right uh, a, fr a fringe minority that reads the text tries to come up with gymnastic arguments to make verses that are telling you to do something barbaric or something that is unethical and try to come up with a way to, ma to make it seem like it means something else, right? And mm. this is very fringe. Most people that take the text seriously and don't like it become ex-Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with the reform movement in Islam is that given that how fringe this number is, they try to inflate the numbers to represent how successful Islamic reform is by mm. adding up all the minimalist Muslims and, mm. and all the nominal Muslims to the number to the number mm. of reform reform Muslims, right? Because mm. if you add up all the nominal Muslims and the minimalist Muslims, then that number looks huge compared to the conservative Muslims, right? Mm. And you're like, look, most Muslims are peaceful people that are living their lives without being like crazy and doing crazy shit, right? Uh, but again, those Muslims are most Muslims that are really not follow, trying to actively follow Islam or Islam is not a big part of their life, right? Uh, but if you take away the nominal, uh, nominal Muslim and the minimalist Muslim, then the Muslims that take Islam seriously and try to take scripture seriously, then if you compare the, the what's remaining, which is the reformist Muslim compared to the conservative Muslims, now the conservative Muslim part looks much bigger than the minimalist Muslim and the minimalist, uh, so than the reformist Muslim. But, and the reformist Muslim part uh, looks uh, very, very small. Even, even and, and again, the radical jihadi Muslims are a, of a subcategory of the conservative Muslims, right? And mm -hmm. I think the reformist movement, reformist Muslims are an even smaller fringe group of people than the radical jihadists. As much as people say, oh, ISIS, these are, this is a small percent, tiny percentage of most Muslims. Well, I say, well, the reformist Muslims are even a smaller fringe. I mean, even if you look at, yeah, go on, sorry. So if you're trying to, let's say, approach a, uh, so is it worth, um, in terms of atheist activism, is it worth targeting, let's say, reformist Muslims and uh, conservative Muslims? Or are the only ones that are really uh, efficient in terms of one's use of time kind of the nominal Muslims or the minimalist Muslims? Um, I will, I, here's the thing. I go to conservative Muslims with an audience of nominal and minimalist Muslims. Well, I mean, the nominal mm. and minimalist Muslims are the majority of Muslims, right? Most Muslims, just like most people, don't think about philosophy or politics they have other things in their lives that they care about right uh, mm -hmm. that's why most muslims are nominal or minimalist muslims um but but the, th the problem with the nominal and minimalist muslims is that is that their large numbers is providing cover for a for a barbaric ancient ideology that needs to that needs to die to be honest um so they're unknowingly providing uh, giving authority to something that 
it needs to just go away. Um, mm. So that's why I do, I do want to target them. The thing is that um, the conservative Muslims are the ones that are mostly interested in talking to you, right? Um, mm. And and the good the thing is that even if they don't change their mind, they're the people that come and consume that content. There's a lot of skeptics. Uh, from the Muslim community that do consume that content, so you're changing their minds um, and you're pl planting seeds of that. And I'll, I'll clarify about what the goal is when you're talking about uh, when you're reaching to Muslim, because it's not always outright atheism. It's not reform, and it's not it's not always outright atheism. I'll tell you because people say, "Oh, reform is a baby step to atheism," and I'm like, "No, it's not. It's a step in the right direction." The thing is that the but the conservative Muslims and the ex-Muslims have in common is that they actually uh, they actually are being very realistic about the verses that they're reading they seem to be more uh, b willing to, ac to accept the truth and try to uh, li live and speak according to what they think reality is versus the reformist muslims that are you know good people that they're just trying to find excuses for what their religion is saying you know so they want their reality to reflect their belief rather their belief you know to they change they try to represent rea they they already made up what they want and they want their belief system to match that but uh, but people that become conservative muslims or leave islam they like no uh, reality doesn't give a shit about what i want i need to find out what is true right uh, and I need to live and act and say accordingly. So I think there's an appreciation, even though conservative Muslims and ex-Muslims are very much against each other, I think the, they, have, they get to talk to each other more because there's an appreciation for uh, living and speaking according to what we think uh, reality is. They think there's a God, this is God's word, this is how you should act and behave. And I think conservative Muslims don't have this, Again, this is based on my experience. I don't know how common it is. They have they they have uh, less appreciation for reformist Muslims. Uh, again, a fringe group of reformist Muslims, which um, which gets a lot of attention, uh, unlike the ex-Muslim movement that needs to get more attention. But anyways, we could get into that. Um, they they ha they they don't they don't have respect for that because they see them as misrepresenting uh, Islam and obviously clearly lying about the true meaning and nature of the verses and the hadith, right? Okay, and can you go ahead and uh, discuss a little bit more um, the question of whether reformist Islam is a step towards atheism? Because I've heard that argument say, no, I've heard that true. argument made a lot, and can you go, I've heard that argument made, so it appears that you do not think that that is a good argument or a good strategy. So why isn't reform as a step towards atheism, like a, a good kind of intermediate position because a lot of people I've heard a lot of people argue having Muslims engage in atheism or having Muslims accept atheism directly it's not practical it's not something that people are willing to do so because that's not possible uh, it's just better to promote Islamic reform as kind of an intermediate state intermediate position no um uh, reforming uh, reform is an excuse for stop thinking about difficult parts of Islam, right? Um, nominal and minimalist Muslims they just see one ref reformist leader that says like, "Hey, this this Quran verses might is not violent." They're like, "Okay, he said that. I don't have to think about it. Uh, there's nothing in Quran that promotes wife beating. Um, this is uncom is uncomfortable for me. If my religion actually promotes that, 
just stop thinking about it. I have some imam somewhere that said that this doesn't promote wife beating, right? It's, mm. it's an excuse for um, not thinking and not considering difficult, uh, uncomfortable uh, uh, positions, right? Again, and I, the, the atheist movement, uh, when it comes to promoting atheism and fighting religion, um, my understanding was it was supposed to fight fight religion, not replace one religion with a different religion, right? Mm. Which is a different Islam 2.0, right? Um, mm. That's not the goal and that's not the effect, most effective to do. You don't fight delusion by replacing one delusion with a different delusion. Uh, you fight delusion with facts. Um, again, a lot of people uh, have a problem with the word delusion. I understand that. But um, the, the thing is that like, oh, it's well, you can't just you can't just expect 1.6, 1.7, 1.8. I don't know which one is the most accurate one. Um, let's say 1.7 uh, billion Muslims to just leave Islam. You need baby steps. Or, um, you know, you're, they, some people call me an atheist fundamentalist, an atheist extremist, if you want people to just... Either, atheism and nothing else. I mean, I mean you're an extremist because you only accept atheism. Not, nothing mm. in between. I like no reform is not in between reform is is re islamic reform is just is just giving people another fairy tale it's not true it's it's, it's not fact based what what is a baby step is um doubt uh, doubt is a baby step right you don't you, you know when you introduce um atheism to muslims um what you know, many people, first of all, have because of what we do, have left Islam and are now atheists. So a lot of people that say it doesn't work, they're absolutely wrong, right? We know a lot of people have completely abandoned Islam and are now atheists, and that has worked. We have countless of examples, way more than people that used to be fundamentalists and now they're reformists because of anything the reformists to say. Even the reformist movement leaders didn't leave, didn't become reformists because of anything in Islam. If you actually listen to their stories and listen to their path to out of radicalism, uh, you can see that that it was things outside of Islam that convinced them. Nothing, nothing within the Hadith or within the Quran. Um, so I don't understand why they they would they would they prescribe Islam as a medicine to radicalism when they that wasn't used on them. Um, anyways, but so but so we have had a lot of people's success, success with a lot of people leaving Islam. But even larger than that number are a lot of people that were certain about Islam and are still Muslim, but they're not. You know, they see like I see where I see what where atheists are coming from. You, go, going from a position to thinking atheism is absolutely ridiculous, to still think it's thinking it's wrong, but I see why somebody would be an atheist. You know what I mean? Not you know it, nobody is going to dedicate. I mean, not nobody. Most people will not dedicate their entire life to Islam if they're only 99% sure about it, right? Mm. Uh, so that that doubt is a huge win, even if you, if that person never becomes an atheist. That's a baby step. And this, the good thing about that baby step is unlike reform, which is not a baby step at all, is a step in the right direction. It's a, sorry, it's not a baby step, it's a step in the wrong direction. It's going jumping from one delusion to another. But th this, this baby step of doubt is 
intellectually honest. It's, you're not lying to people about the meaning of verses just because you want because you're, you want them to be less harmful to you. I mean, it's a very selfish thing to do to basically say like, hey, this is bullshit, but let me replace this bullshit with another bullshit so that you don't you're not a threat to me and that's all you care about basically you're not giving you're not caring for the individual and what they believe in you just want to make sure that they're not a threat to you so the, the doubt position is intellectually honest you're not lying to people about their their own scripture uh, and it's and it's not it's not necessarily uh, you're not demanding out atheism and nothing else and there's another smaller baby step even before that so I give you one baby step but here's another baby step uh, that even is a smaller baby step that doubt itself and that's also a win it's and that's an even bigger circle than that so we have a smaller circle that people that have completely left Islam and that's a big circle like we have a lot of people that we have ex-Muslim ex-Muslim movement is gro growing faster than ever uh, but then then become a bigger circle when it's people with uh, that have doubt now have doubts about Islam and now a much bigger circle which are Muslims uh, that are 100 per, still 100% certain that Islam is true still 100% sure that atheism is absolutely ridiculous position to have but after talking to atheists uh, they accept atheists they accept a atheists they don't demonize them they don't see them as inferior they see that it's possible for us to have very passionate uh, friendly disagreements and talk about those disagreements uh, and still be able to get along uh, one of the one of the things that i found interesting you said is you mentioned that there's a category there's a community of ex-muslims and i've seen that term a number of times um, myself I'm not, and perhaps this is mistaken, but I'm not sure that I've seen a community of ex-Hindus or ex-Buddhists or people identifying themselves in this way. So is there any way that you could explain why, for instance, there's been a move to create or to publicize an identity of ex-Muslim as opposed to, let's say, ex-Hindu, uh, ex-Buddhist, maybe even ex-Christian? I think the more cult-like and more oppressive your former community it has been, the more you identify uh, spe um, specifically to that with that community, right? So, a lot of you know, so uh, you know, a lot of people, are, for example, are against identity politics, and so am I, unless your identity is being used as a target, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you might not see that many people that identify, for example, as ex-Christian, but you do see people identify as ex-Mormon or ex-Jehovah's Witness because within the Christian community, being ex, being a more like the Mormon community is a little bit more of a, uh, you know, or being Jehovah's Witness, especially, is uh, something ex-Jehovah is 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 an, uh, leaving that community is more. Um, look down upon um, there's more um, f your family uh, hating on you your, your community um, also, you know shaming you uh, highlighting you, uh, you as somebody that needs to be hated as somebody or somebody that went the wrong way and because of the reaction to you leaving the, those Jehovah's Witness or Mormon communities is more that's why you see I guess them also uh, uh, getting together because they have their own unique problems 
when it comes to leaving their community you see them getting together and when you get together you have to you come up with the labels for you to identify each other right so i think when you have unique challenges uh, to live leaving a community there's always a natural desire for people that that have to deal with those unique challenges to come up with a way to for them to find each other and help each other deal with those unique challenges right and well, I was, I was oh. sorry and obviously i think most people know that the challenges with leaving islam is very much uh, high up there com uh, when it comes to communities that is challenging to leave so much so that you know the punishment for apostasy in islam is death according to islamic hadiths right so given and given the amount of shunning the amount of um, uh, you know discrimination and the amount of um, you know abandonment by your own family the amount of uh, ostracizing and everything that the people that will leave Islam have to deal with I think it's pretty natural for them to come up with the label and find each other and make communities specifically to the people that have to deal with those challenges so, so you wouldn't say so once again that argument that you made it, that you made uh, makes a lot of sense, uh, but I, I, I was wondering if you might comment on an additional point that had um, come to my mind as another possibility why someone might be uh, identifying themselves as ex-Muslim. What about the possibility that Muslims, especially living in Western countries, that Islam is kind of a stigmatized identity, that if you're associated with Islam, maybe you're suspected of being a terrorist, or maybe you're suspected of uh, uh, harboring um, some abhorrent beliefs uh, and that as a way of dealing with the social stigmatization oh, no. in particular Western societies you would say I'm, I'm ex-Muslim oh uh, because no 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 I do not buy that at all the problems that you have to deal with okay first of all most of the problems most of the bigotry Muslims have to deal with you don't manage you don't get rid of that okay so when you have to the people that are against Islam as an idea but are not against Muslims as a group of people right they have in they have intellectual disagreements with Muslims they're not hating on an entire group of people right mm -hmm. but the people the the bigots that the anti-muslim bigots right not mm -hmm. uh, um, they again i'm not saying not racist that doesn't make sense bigots the they are against the a group of the people uh the, a certain group of people and usually you leave it, your ideology uh that is not relevant to them the fact that you come for a certain country is enough for them to hate on you so being a muslim or not being muslim most ex-muslims are in the same camp uh, same target of uh, bigots that Muslims are like so mm. the people that their agenda is to hate on people that come from Pakistan or from Iran or from come, come from Saudi Arabia uh, your ideology really doesn't affect their hatred towards you but even if it does to, to some of them the amount mm. of shit that you have to deal with uh, for abandoning Islam as a religion, as an ideology, from your own community, from your own family, from your own uh, friends, from your own, from you know, from the people that you grew up with, is is a hell of a lot more than what you would you experience from, you know, anti-Muslim bigotry in the United States. I mean, people. Uh, I mean. I can't imagine people have been kicked out of their houses from their own their mother has been telling them that they're dead to them 
uh, they you know there's been honor killings there are people I mean ex-muslim movement is is grow is not something that is just growing in the United States we have we, in, in, we have a huge millions of atheists secret atheists in Saudi Arabia Mm -hmm. What what anti-Muslim anti bigotry exists in Saudi Arabia? In Iran, is there anti-Muslim bigotry in Iran? The, the anti-Islam movement in Iran is huge. The hatred for religion is huge. Atheists are growing in Malaysia. Is there anti-Muslim bigotry in Malaysia? Atheists are growing in Indonesia. Atheists are atheist bloggers are being hacked to death in Bangladesh, a very Muslim country. Is there anti-Muslim bigotry in Bangladesh? Mm. How is anti how how is ex-Muslim movement growing in so many Islamic countries if the main cause of that is is anti-Muslim bigotry? Oh, it's an interesting point. Although perhaps. Uh, in thinking, I'm, I still don't have a solution myself. I'm trying to figure things I'm out. I'm sure you uh, could find examples for everything, like anecdotal example. I'm saying every rare scenario that you could come up with, there might be something that you could, somebody that you might come um, yeah, with a story that like uh, that might justify a certain trend. Uh, but I, I, I can tell you that if the anecdotal stories do not just represent... The, uh, does not necessarily represent the huge grow of um, people abandoning Islam. I mean, this is you have to understand that. Um, I don't. I don't. I wish I had the numbers here. Uh, well, do you have any sense of in terms of the? You mentioned that Atheist Republic has maybe over two million followers. Do you have any? And I know you don't have exact figures available. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ability to estimate what percentage of those? Uh, people are are from a Muslim background, uh, just very roughly. Um, well, I mean, until quite uh, until a few years ago, the number one country that were uh, our fan base came from was Pakistan. Mm. So the the number I don't know what it is right now. I can check, but I think um, I can check later and let you know. Uh, but I think now it's the United States. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, some of our top countries, uh, our fan base are from Egypt, um, Indonesia, Philippines is high up there. That's a Christian country. And um, mm -hmm. the it's very interesting because the more religious the countries are, the bigger our fan base are from them. This is what mm -hmm. roughly like we don't get much fan base from Scandinavian countries. And I think the reason is that I mean, atheism is so normal in some places where. They, there's not that much point into activism. I mean, they, I mean, some mm. we do get fan base from there, especially people in countries where religion does not influence their life. That care about people uh, that influ religion uh, does influence their life, right? I mean, but the thing is that the more uh, the atheists in countries where religion is um, is forced on them and influences their day to day lives, on uh, the more that influence is. Um, experience the more atheists feel the need to be um, louder and find outlets to be able to express themselves and fight back against it that and that's why I think that the more religious countries are the more we get uh, I mean I, obviously it depends on the population of the country as well but uh, if you adjust per capita it does seem that the more religious a country is, the more fans we get from it, that, uh, the more followers we get from those countries. Okay, I was wondering if you might comment on one other 
a topic that's related to some of the points that you've been making. Some people will argue, and I'm not sure to what extent this is true, but some, but but I mean, I think it's a plausible argument to some extent uh, that there is a relationship between atheism and certain forms of Western identity, perhaps even white identity. So there's this idea that Europe is a Western country, or Europe is a West, the, the, in Europe there's Western civilization, which is rational and secular uh, by nature, and to an extent, uh, attacks on is the Islamic religion are really geared primarily uh, to uh, kind of attacking a group of people that is seen as threatening to Western civilization, either in the form of immigrants or either in the for in the context of a war on terror. Would you mind commenting on that? So some, some people might say, for instance, Geert Wielders, Geert Wielders or Ayan Hirsi Ali, or, or maybe even like Imam Tawhidi, for instance, they kind of have, uh, they kind of are positioning themselves within what they might conceive of as a civilizational conflict between, let's say, Islam and the West, and they kind of yeah, I don't, I don't see my, my fight against Islam and I think the fight against Islam is not a battle between Islam and the West. I see it as a battle between Islam and the planet. Mm. Uh, Islam is a cancer, it's a disease that is, that is inflicted on the, on the whole human race, not just, not, not just the West. In fact, the, pro the victims of Islam are mostly in Islamic countries. Uh, not in the West, right? And the fight against Islam is also from within Islamic countries by atheists and secular activists, not not from outside. And and I think those are the people on the front line. Um, what what's I, I guess um, when it comes to uh, fighting bad ideas in general, uh, the what happened was the most recent. Uh, successful um, movement that we had was in the 1800s and that which was again going back to the Enlightenment era and which popularized a lot of this fight back against you know faith-based thinking or against anything other any other thing that's irrational popularizing uh, scientific thinking, rash, rash, you know, rational thinking, but that it wasn't the. It, it, this is not something that happened for the first time. We have other examples that happened um, in history in other places, um, but that was, I guess, one of the most recent huge ones that has helped humanity as a whole for a very long time. I mean, uh, all of us are benefiting from that era a lot more than most people appreciate, but I, because that era happened to have um, started in Europe um, and the, people see it as a Western thing but the thing is that the whole planet benefit it, I just it, it did happen in Europe but good ideas are good ideas and they belong to the world it doesn't belong to the West right uh, free if free speech is a good idea free speech is a good idea everywhere it's not a good idea just in Western countries if democracy is a good idea, it's a good idea everywhere. It's not just a good idea in Western countries. If 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 equal rights for men and women is a good idea, it's a good idea everywhere, not just in Western countries, right? If okay, and I just had um, just because I 
probably will have to wrap up soon, even though I've been uh, really enjoying uh, this conversation. But I wanted to make sure to get in one more uh, question. Uh, do you see your uh, movement or the Atheist Republic as kind of an outgrowth of the new atheism? Uh, and are there particular figures, new atheists or otherwise, that have been uh, particularly influential in terms of your own embrace of atheist activism? Um, okay, how would you define new atheism? I well, I have, according to my understanding, and it's not an area of expertise for me, but there are particular figures like uh, Sam Harris, like Richard Dawkins, like Daniel Bennett, uh, and one of the things that they wanted to do is is perhaps take a more aggressive stance when it comes to religion. Not, for instance, merely not endorsing religion themselves, but kind of publicly. Um, publicly shaming people maybe who adopt religious beliefs and kind of trying to stigmatize religion in society. I don't society think they're shaming people. I think they're calling out bad ideas. Okay, so so calling so so for instance not tolerating bad ideas in a right. society but going ahead and making kind of an active an active movement to combat right. those ideas. So if you if you're defining new atheism as a as a move again a, again new atheism is not it, Atheism is nothing but uh, I don't like your belief in God. I just also want to make that clear. But if if new atheism is is defined as a movement that is it is does not tolerate bad mm -hmm. ideas and actively tries to fight them, then obviously uh, that's that's a great thing, right? Um, and I the thing and and if new atheism means people being vocal about their atheism and not mm -hmm. holding back and expressing it and normalizing it that's obviously a great thing and if new mm -hmm. atheism is defined like that i think i'm part of that new atheist movement and if the main people that led that charge if you if you mentioning the people that uh, daniel dennett sam harris richard dawkins and christopher hitchens if mm -hmm. if you're talking if that's how you define it well i've read all uh, all of their well not i read a book from each one all of these people Mm -hmm. a, a couple of books from all of these people uh, and I, I see if that's how it's defined if their contributions is what defines the new atheist movement then um, I don't think many people um, many atheists can I mean I think to me it's pretty obvious that they their contribution has benefited um, mm -hmm. us and everyone else their, their books are how, their books and their their advocacy has contributed a lot um I, my from all the books that i've read um i think one of uh, my favorite ones is breaking the spell by daniel dennett which mm -hmm. influenced me the most which is one of the most underrated one from the four from the four of them mm -hmm. uh, even though I, when it comes to free will I, and stuff i'm more on sam harris's side sam mm -hmm. uh, harris's way of uh, thinking and analyzing um, you know information has very been very helpful to me uh, Richard Dawkins no bullshit attitude has been very refreshing and always um, I think has empowered a lot of people to be um, not tiptoeing around their views and encouraging them to be more outspoken less apologetic about what they see as a problem and obviously Christopher Hitchens is just always fun to listen to in debates and stuff but I mean they're all they're all have been doing obviously um, there there are many things that we everybody you know they they say that we might not disagree with but on, on average I think all of them have contributed a lot if that's how you define it um, 
I just think, I mean, if, if, again, if new atheism is a name for people not hiding their atheism, not thinking it's something that they need to not mention, and, you know, if, if that, if, if it's a movement towards uh, more people being open about it, more normalizing it, making it more accepting, I, 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 I would, then that's, that's fantastic, and I want to, and then I support new atheism. Um, and I really don't think when you said, like, shaming people i don't think that's what it is uh you know we all have bad ideas and we all have we all hold views you hold some views i hold some views that are absolutely ridiculous right i don't know which views that i hold right now are absolutely ridiculous because if i knew which ones they were i wouldn't be holding them right now right mm -hmm. but i rely on other people pointing them out to me i don't know which one of my views are wrong i just know there are some of my views that are wrong and i the only way that i could find them well i mean is by i mean the best way it's not the only way the best way that i could find them is by getting other people's help and criticizing me and pointing them out to me so i think people should see that when you when you point out people's ridiculous beliefs people should not see it as an attack i think the people should appreciate it even if they don't agree agree with the critique you should want people to attack your views what is what are what better way is there for you to recognize which one of your views are wrong okay armin that has been very 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 helpful and i really want to say thank you so much for uh sharing uh sharing uh this sharing your views with me. I think they're unique views. Obviously, they're having an impact on the world and it's really helpful for me able for me to be able to appreciate them. And I think it's really gonna enrich my research. So uh, thank you very much. Atheist Republic's mission is to give atheists around the world a louder voice. In order for us to be able to continue the Atheist Republic, we need your help. If we reach 100 patrons, we'll finally be able to afford all our costs. Help us get there. Just sorry, I had to record again because I forgot to thank you for your time. So just want no, to thank add you. It at the thank very you end. for your time. No, no, thank you for this was this was fun.